morning, are we? Hope you're well. Uh, this morning, before we just come to read God's Word and to pray before we get into God's Word this morning, can I, again, uh, this is, seems to be our running weekly theme now at the moment, but uh, congratulate the Nixons on the birth of little son. Uh, young Lucas Nixon came into the world this week, so that's great. So we have Nora Skelly and Lucas Nixon in one week. Calm down, all right? Uh, kids ministry can't cope, so <laughs> I know we want to grow the church and all that, but taking it out of hand. Right, this morning we are in uh, the second week of our series in Advent, and this week we are looking at what real joy is, where that comes from, and uh, what it means for us. So if you've got your Bible with you, and I hope you do, uh, turn to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and we will read uh, the Scriptures together. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus, Quirinus was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was one of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you a born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he, with, with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it has been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray before we come to God's word today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has been given to us through the person of the Spirit. There is not one word 
that is out of place. There is not one fault to be found. It is perfect, inerrant, inspired. And so, Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that the same Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, that penned these words would speak them to our hearts and that we would know what it is to have this joy that was heralded at this time. Father, when we look at the world around us, uh, we see little joy. We see a world that is suffering through war and through famine. And even in the midst of that, we know that you can bring real joy through your salvation and through Christ, your beautiful Son. But Father, we pray for those today who are suffering. We pray, especially at this time of year when uh, the world is telling us to be happy, uh, that those, we pray for those who are not happy and who are suffering. And we pray that your compassion would be upon them, your grace would be upon them, and that your love would be upon them. Father, we are thankful uh, today that we get together as your people. Uh, Father, help us to, to realize the privilege that this is to know what it is to be able to gather as your people, with your people, to worship you, the living God. Father, we pray for this week uh, incoming. Father, we pray for the events that are planned. Father, we pray that your hand will be upon them, and we pray that people would come to know Jesus through them. Father, we pray that your Son would be glorified. We pray that he would be uplifted, and that the, the good news of the gospel would go forward in this town. Father, we pray that you would bring people in. We pray that you would bring people in from the estates around this town. We pray that you bring people in from further afield. We pray for the, for the work that has went on in Hilltown this week even, and we pray that you would, you would uh, just bless that and bring people in so that they would hear the gospel and see the biblical message this week. Father, we thank you for all those who have uh, put in such work to this. And we pray for them, and we pray that you bless them this week as they see the fruit of their labor. Father, be with us. Bless us as a church. We thank you for what you're doing amongst us. And we pray that you will continue. In Jesus' name, Jesus' beautiful, holy, righteous name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So, as I say, we are in week two of our Advent series. And my hope uh, that when we gather on Sunday mornings and when we come into this room, uh, and I get the privilege up here of seeing your faces every Sunday morning. Uh, my hope is that we come into this room and we expect to hear something a little bit different. We expect to hear something different, something out of the norm, so, something a bit countercultural. Uh, because the reality is, we all come into this room this morning burdened uh, by many, many uh, preoccupa preoccupations that we have, weighed down by the demands of life, uh, weighed down by the demands of daily living, uh, just all of our lives that are going on. We come in here on a Sunday morning, and I hope that our expectation is that we'll hear something a little bit different. 
That's something different that we come to hear is the good news of the gospel. That's what we come to hear every Sunday, week on week on week on week. And, and we'll do it on, hopefully until we pass. We come to hear the good news that is the gospel message. Is it really true? Is the good news really good news? Can it be believed? And I hope that today, when, when we see one of the aspects of the good news of the gospel, we will leave believing that we can have genuine joy. You see, one of the aspects of the good news of the gospel is that we have joy, real joy. If you look up the, the English definition of the word joy, what you'll see and what you'll find is a lot to do with happiness. Happiness. But to be honest, I don't think the English definition of joy does what we speak about as Christian joy, justice. It doesn't do it justice. Real Christian, Christ-centered joy is different. John Piper gives us what I think is a great definition of real, genuine Christian joy. He says this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. That's different to happiness. That is different. It's not the same thing. Let me, let me read that again. So you, It's a good feeling produ produced in the soul. There we go for a start. It's in the soul. It's not… It's in the soul. It's in, our, in the very depths of our being. It's produced by what? The Holy Spirit. The world cannot know this joy. Those who are not in Christ cannot know what Christian joy is. You, as I look upon you this morning, uh, you are supposed to have, if you're following Christ, a joy that is so deep-rooted in your soul, produced by the Holy Spirit, that it makes you different. Now, again, you can't tell by looking at you, but it's deep down, and I mean it must be really, really, really deep down in you, but it's there, really deep down. Joy does not come from within us. It is produced in us. You can't make yourself joyful. It's impossible. It is produced in us. You can't manufacture it. You can't buy it. You can't bottle it up. It doesn't come from a pill. It is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis again nails it when he says, all joy is always a desire for something longer ago or further away about to be. Does that not sum up Advent? Does that not sum up Advent? All joy is a desire for something longer ago. What's he looking back at there? The incarnation. Or further away still. What's he looking at there? The second coming of Christ. 
That is essentially the joy of Advent. It's a longing for something more. It's a longing of something more. And I want to show us this morning, where, first of all, where we find our joy, and then what that means for us as we find our joy. And where we find our joy is, is very, very simple. We find our joy in Christ. This deep-rooted Holy Spirit-produced joy is found in Jesus. And first of all, Jesus brings us this joy in salvation. Jesus brings joy in so many areas of life, but, but, but joy that is especially associated with Jesus and the, and the birth of Jesus is the joy of salvation. For example, we read in David's prayer to the Lord in Psalm 51, he says this, Restore to me the what? The joy of my salvation. The joy of my salvation. David wrote this psalm after committing adultery, after setting up a murder. Uh, David had sinned greatly against God, but he understood the connection between, between salvation and joy. When he had done these things, when he had sinned against God, he was what? Miserable. Miserable. And what did he want restored? The joy of his salvation. He understood there's a connection between joy and salvation. Deep-rooted Holy Spirit-produced joy is connected to salvation. Again, we find the same connection between salvation and joy in Isaiah, where Isaiah writes, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Beautiful image. In that passage, Isaiah is prophesying about the second coming of Jesus. But, there's, but the idea here is that we continually draw from the wells of salvation because Jesus gives us a living water that never runs out. There is no true joy without salvation. So if you're sitting in here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you haven't yet come to Jesus, know Jesus as your Savior, repented of your sin, come to Him in faith, you will not know real joy. It's that simple. There is no salvation without joy. There is no joy without salvation. The two go together. We see that in the Scriptures over and over again. When we see it in Luke 1, if we were to flip back into Luke 1, we see, uh, let me read to you from Luke 1, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary enters the house, and John the Baptist, who was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, starts jumping with joy. Why? Because, as Elizabeth put it, Mary was the mother of her Lord. Jesus had come into, into John the Baptist's presence in the womb, and he jumps with joy in the womb. 
You might wonder how that's possible. Well, it's very simple. He was, as we're told there, filled with the Holy Spirit. Here we have the very Son of God in the womb, one member of the Trinity. We have John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit, a second member of the Trinity coming together, and there is what? Joy. Real joy. Another great example of Jesus bringing the joy of salvation is the wise men in the Gospel of Matthew. They traveled a great distance to see the Messiah and worship Him. They had seen the star in the east. They didn't know exactly what was going on. But they stopped in Jerusalem along the way to ask King Herod. And we read in Matthew 2, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was born. And when they saw, when they saw the star, they were what? Overjoyed. Why were they overjoyed? They were overjoyed because they knew who the child was and what he had come to do. Salvation and joy go together. The joy, joy of the Christmas story belong together. Now, we are T minus, I can't do the math, 15 days away from Christmas. 15 days. And I always feel a wee bit like the Grinch at this just in this season, because I feel as if I always have to remind us as a church where we find our real joy. It is my job to remind us where our ultimate joy is found. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Our ultimate joy is in Jesus. It's true joy. It's real joy. But let me ask you, is that where your joy is coming from this season? Or is it coming from something else? Is it coming from your salvation? Does our joy come from the overflow of the spring of our salvation? Are we remembering what God has done for us in the incarnation? Is that our position this season? As we walk through Christmas, is that where we are? It is so difficult to remain there. It is so difficult for us to remain in a state as we approach Christmas that that our joy is found in Christ, that we're worshiping Christ, that it's all about Christ. It is difficult for us because we are being bombarded from outside sources telling us that it's about everything else. So how do we as we walk through the next couple of weeks, as we walk through this month, how do we keep our eyes fixed on Christ? We remember what He's done. We remember what He's done. We remember that He has saved us, and we find joy in that. We remember that He brings us peace, and we find joy in that. We remember the promises that He's made, and we find joy in that. We remember that He said He'll never leave us nor forsake us, and we find joy in that. And I want to urge us as a church 
to remember what Christ has done for us over these next few weeks. And our eyes are fixed fully on Him as we walk through these next couple of weeks. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I don't really do much Christmas shopping. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but the other day I was, I was in Bambridge and, and again, I wasn't shopping. You could almost guess where I, if I'm in Bambridge. You could almost guess where it would be. One of several locations. Uh, but it involves coffee. Uh, but I was looking through the window and you can see people hurrying around and scurrying around and just busying themselves. Shopping, shopping, shopping. And trust me, there is no joy to be found in that. Remember this season where our joy is found. It is found in Christ alone. In Jesus alone. So that's where we find our, our joy, right? So if that's where we find our joy, that has implications for us as the church. If you're in here this morning, you're a follower of Christ, you've you found your joy in Christ, you're increasingly finding your joy in Christ, that has implications. It's, it's just not... You'll see this over and over again in the Scriptures. When we, when we see things, when we know things, it means things for us. It never ter- rarely ever does it terminate on us. And it has implications. And the first implication that, that, that we see here in Luke 2 is that the joy that, that everyone found, the shepherds, the wise men, the joy that everyone found led to one thing, proclamation of the good news. It led them not just to be joyful in and of themselves, but it led them to go out and proclaim the good news that had come. We see it in chapter 2 here. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping, over the, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today... In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and it will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Notice the news about Jesus' birth was not only news, it's good news. Good news. Good news of great what? Joy. And it's not only good news of great joy, it's good news of great joy for who? All people. But how will all the people know about the good news of great joy unless it is shared with them, unless it is proclaimed to them? You see, we share good news all the time. If anything good happens to you, you share it. It's a natural response. Like, over the last couple of weeks, we've had two babies born into the church. Let, let, me, be, let me be careful in case there's any misconceptions about what I just said, right? I, I don't believe that they are born into the church, all right? Let, let me just be clear, in case we have any, like, people of covenant theology amongst us and who want to have an argument with me about 
Do I believe they're really born into the church? No, you know what I mean, right? Two babies born by people who are in the church, right? Let's be clear. What do we do with that news? We proclaim it. It's not as if, like, we're, we're scurrying around the, the skellies of the baby yet, no? What about the next ones? Did they, we don't know. We don't know. We're not sure. They haven't told us. No, we tell it. Good news. Great joy. Proclaim. That's what we do. Good news is for sharing. And there is no better news than the news the angels shared with the shepherd that first Christmas Eve, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. A Savior. He is Christ the Lord. So what did the shepherds do after they received the good news of great joy? That was for all the people. Let me read. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word. They spread the word. That's concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. The shepherds heard the good news of great joy that was for all the people. They went and checked it out for themselves. And then they shared the good news with everyone they could. They shared the good news of great joy that was for all the people by broadcasting it to all people. The shepherds, the wise men. Later, it would be fishermen, tradesmen, business people, business women like Lydia in the book of Acts. All people. I say this often. Sometimes I think we believe that in our world, in our church world, what we tend to believe is that we have some sort of special people, like the black ops team of the church, like the SAS team of the church, who it's their job to go and tell all the world about Jesus. Simply not the case. I have been, and, and you forgive me for my references because I've been watching Jack Ryan lately, and, uh, but I genuinely think that's the way we think sometimes. That's for someone else. I couldn't possibly share the gospel. I, couldn't, I don't have the words. I, I don't have the education. I don't have the blood, whatever, whatever, whatever. Who, who, was it, who was it here? The shepherds, the lowest of the low, the uneducated, our sovereign God chose to be the first tellers of the good news of the gospel. 
Do you see that? Do you genuinely see that? And I know you can say, yeah, I see that. Do you, but do you see that? As I say, as we move, into the new, uh, move on through the New Testament, we see who Jesus chooses as his disciples. You're like, surely not. Fishermen. Tradesmen. Zealots. Hashtag terrorists. Can't be right. It is. And who has he chosen to take the good news of the gospel to Rathfrayland and surrounding areas? You're looking at it. You're looking at it. You motley crew whom the Holy Spirit can fill and do amazing things through. That's the reality. That's what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to hear the good news and we are supposed to proclaim the good news. That's what it produces. Second thing joy produces here, as we see very, very clearly, it produces proclamation, but it also produces worship. Uh, Piper said, John Piper said again, joyful, heartfelt, hope-filled delight in God's mercy is the essence of what? Worship. This joy that we find produced in us by the Holy Spirit produces proclamation, but it also produces worship. We find the truth of this demonstrated for us with two examples in the Christmas story. The first example is Mary after she hears the words of prophecy uh, from Elizabeth. Uh, Mary was filled with joy and wonder as her cousin Elizabeth spoke these words of blessing and favor over her. Uh, her joy could not be ta- contained, and we have what was known as the Magnificat, uh, Mary's song. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God's God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. Even Mary, there we go, God has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now until all generations will, will, will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Mary could not contain herself when she finds this joy. She worships. And then we find the same pattern also over and over again with the shepherds when they return from sharing the good news of, of Jesus with the people in the town. We read the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen, which, they had just, which was just as they had been told. So we see Mary's joy overflow to worship. We see the shepherds' joy overflow into worship. John the Baptist would later do the same. So let me ask, is that, is that the case for you? Is it the case for me? That this joy that we find in Jesus produces one proclamation, the telling of the good news of the gospel, but two, does it produce worship? Worship. Does the joy of the Lord lead us to praise and worship of the Lord? Again, this time of the year lends itself to us 
worshiping things that we shouldn't worship. Our worship probably at this time of the year is more susceptible to be misplaced or misdirected than any other time of the year. Let, let, me, let, me, let me shout out and ask a question. What's one of the most important things at Christmas? That's not a rhetorical one. I, I, well, like literally, when I, ask, when, I ask, when I ask you for an answer, that's what I'm expecting. Dinner. Dinner. Good one. Dinner. Right. Something else. Family. Anything else? Oh, look at you all sitting there not saying anything. Presents. There are the three things. Boom. First three things you hit. They're the three things. You're a sprout. They're they're the three things. They're the three things. Food, family, presence. Those are the three things that we can misdirect our worship on. Oh, it's so important to get the family together. It's so important to be around family at Christmas. It's so important to be blah, blah, blah. Is it? Is that the most important thing? Is it? I have to get the right presents for the children. Because if you don't get the right presents for the children, then the world will end on December the 25th, obviously. Is that the drive? Is that the goal? If the dinner is not right, if the dinner's not right, then the year will be ruined. These are misdirected worship. Misdirected worship. It is about Jesus, and it is about Jesus alone. Christ, Christ alone. All those things are secondary. All good things. Don't get me wrong. All good things. And all good gifts come from the Father of lights, as James tells us. But they are secondary in comparison to Christ. Make sure we keep them there. Make sure we keep them there and we do not misdirect our worship this Christmas. So, proclamation worship. And today, I want to finish by sort of coming around full circle uh, to what we find in Luke 2, verse 10. Luke 2, verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All people. I think there's lots of lessons to learn from the nativity about who God loves and who He has sent Jesus for. And this good news is for all people, all types of people, the shepherds, the lowly, the wise men, the elite, and everyone in between. The fact that our God 
Jesus condescended, became flesh. The fact that Christ humbled Himself in and of itself should produce in us a joy that is unimaginable. Think about that concept for a moment. Think about the God of eternity past, the God of eternity future, the one whom we're told in Scriptures holds all things together, the one who was there in the beginning. In John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The one who was there in creation, the one who holds all creation together, condescended and became flesh. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's where our joy is found. And it's not a happy joy. The Apostle Paul described himself as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. What that means is that you can be in here today and you can know what it's like to be depressed and have joy. You can be in here today and you can know what it is to have anxiety right up to your here and know what it is to have joy. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That's what it is to know Jesus. It's not jazz hands. It's not a smiley face. It's not I'm happy all the day long. It's not that. It is a deep rooted joy in our salvation that our God produces in us because He condescended and He came to earth to save us. That's what joy is. Real joy. Permanent joy. Not fleeting. Not easily taken away. Real, heartfelt joy. He emptied Himself of His divine rights, took on the form of a servant, became obedient to the point of death. Jesus makes a connection between His Christmas lowliness and the good news for us. And this is it. Come to me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. 
and what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. Gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Jesus. Find joy. Find rest. For he is gentle and lowly. Today, I hope that in the gospel story we can see the joy of our salvation. I hope that joy produces proclamation. I hope that joy produces worship. But ultimately today, I hope for you that you will come to Jesus and find rest. Find rest. Let me pray for us. Father, real lasting joy is produced by the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray for us as a church, I pray that we would find that joy. That today, you, person of the Holy Spirit, would produce in us a deep-rooted, heartfelt, soul-encouraging joy. That even through tears, as the Apostle Paul said, we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.